Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Tom Lee's big new call. The star strategist doing a 180 on two popular parts of the market. Chances are your money is in play. You'll hear from Tom live in just a minute. We'll debate it with, of course, the committee. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosh is the Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private Wealth. Degas Wright, the Chief Investment Officer at Decatur Capital Management. Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, good to see everybody. Let's get right to it. Stocks, we'll go to the wall. It's another record high for the S&P. NASDAQ's now on track for its fourth straight up week. It's the first time it's done that since January, and that is where we begin, because there is that major call today from Tom Lee. Double upgrading FANG stocks to overweight. He made a move in the financials, too. Tom, welcome. It's good to see you. And that's where I want to begin. Your stunning call, really. Double upgrade on the FANGs. Why? Um, you know, I, I, I was just thinking about this idea that the S&P can get to 4,400 by mid-year. Um, that's a big lift. It's 200 points. And as I was going through the sectors, I realized that a huge chunk of this contribution has to come from technology. Uh, so we took a deep dive and, and we looked at what's really changed relative to March and even May because we downgraded uh, FANG a month ago. And we realized that the market had already panicked about interest rates. So as interest rates are cooling, there's actually a pretty big flip that takes place, which is that you know FANG took it in the gut the hardest on, on rising rates, their beneficiary. But then you know the biggest beneficiary of higher rates was financial. So we wanted to flip that. And then there's a demand thing. You know, we think now that consumers have so much cash in their balance sheets, they don't have to financially restructure, which is financial services demand. But as infrastructure spending comes underway, that benefits tech and FANG. So we think there's still a, a really good secular growth story. And now the interest rate headwind's gone. So in the span of a month, you've essentially decided that rates have peaked. Uh, now, I don't forecast rates, and it is a, a very abrupt change for us. But when we look at things like... Uh, Inflation break-evens on forwards, one year or 10-year, it does look like the market had already freaked out about inflation. That's cooling. Yesterday was good evidence. We had a really hot number, and bonds fell. Now, it could be short covering, but it does look like rates are on a downtrend. So I think rates are flat to lower, or if it's flat, that's great for Fang. Well, let's be clear. You, you can't make this call, Tom, without forecasting rates to, to some respect. This call is all about rates. Right. If rates aren't doing what they're doing now, let's be clear. You don't make this call. That's Scott. You're absolutely right. But I would say this. The difference I'd say is that it's really relative to market expectations. And I think people, investors are really positioned for higher rates. They've trimmed their tech holdings because of the idea that rates are higher. And what we have done at Fundstrat, especially our team, is that we've looked at a lot of data and we think that the rate trajectory is lower than consensus. So in other words, the market will be surprised by lower rates. That's a tailwind for fame. Okay. Shannon, 
why don't you jump into the conversation? Because Tom's not the only one out there this week talking about a return to tech, right? There was Kathy Wood, the ETF star with the ARK funds, talking about that trade's about to pick up. Kramer agreed when he was on our show this week, although rather than the ARK-like Kathy Wood stocks, he's more focused on FANG. He calls Amazon his best play right now, his favorite. What do you think about what Tom's saying today and this, this big call and, and a double upgrade to FANG? Well, we've been overweight tech, and, and honestly, the bulk of our positioning is not necessarily just in FANG, but in high-quality mega cap tech names. And that's really where we found the barbell of our trade over the course of the last six months. And I, and I would point out something that Tom said, because I think it's important to differentiate between market expectations and what we're prognostic, you know, our prognostications. And so I actually don't think that we need to see rates fall in order to support this trade. I actually think that rates could continue to rise or, or be incrementally higher even at the end of the year and still support a big cap tech trade because it's all about the pace, the increase in interest rates, the pace of that incre increase that we saw earlier this year. And so, Tom, I would say, you know, my question to you is really, you know, what is, you know, does this get derailed even if we do see in, in interest rates move higher? Um, in my mind, it doesn't. We just need to see a more... Uh, nuanced increase or a slower increase in interest rates through the end of the year. But I think big cap tech definitely needs to be in the portfolio. And I hope that people have been adding it over the last six months when it's basically stalled out. Tom, you, you, you agree with this? Because I'm not so sure. I think the minute rates start going up again, you have the NASDAQ start going down again. What do you think about what Shannon says? Can one withstand the other? Well, it's tricky. I think tech is in that sort of moment where the, the group needs to prove itself. Um, so the first real test will be if rates start to inch up, will the FANG relative performance strength we're seeing hold? But what I would point out is if you look at the six-month return differential between financials less FANG, we are at a rubber band extreme relative to the last 10 years. Well, really eight years because FANG hasn't been around that long. So this is really a moment where financials have historically failed and they're up 30% year to date. So it seems like it's a it's a relatively good risk reward swap for us. It's but like you're right, a, the rate I don't know to it, test. It's like Steve. It's a bit of a pairs trade, obviously, with with the way that that Tom is, is laying it out today with this upgrade of the Fang and, and a downgrade to financials. I want to continue to spend more time on the Fang and the tech aspect, just because it's such a larger part of the market and it just matters more to the overall direction of of the market. Steve Weiss, I, I turn to you. What do you think about Tom's call today? And again. In the context, he's not the only one who's suggesting that this rotation to value has sort of run its course and that you're going to get more money going back into tech and big tech without the crazy valuation tech is the, really pla the place you really want to look. Well, what I think is that it's, it's late. Tech bottomed on roughly May 13th. So we've had a month of outperformance in tech four weeks in a row. Uh, I, as I've said in the past, I don't buy into the fact that rising rates, particularly at the level we're at and the level we're going to, are bad for all tech stocks. I think it's a very small percentage of tech stocks. So I think there's more room to move. But in terms of downgrading financials, I disagree with that. That's a snapshot of where we are today. And I can tell you, I'm not going to guarantee you, but I can tell you that I'm positioned perhaps a little early with shorting, uh, shorting treasuries for rates to move up. Because regardless of where rates are and what the market's saying, the Fed is going to start 
tapering, and they'll start with reducing bond buying. So yes, the market's comfortable right now with where rates are, but again, looking into the future, the Fed's not gonna keep burdening the government with such low rates, low borrowing, giving money away for free forever. So right, they're, I they're don't also think not going to start tapering tomorrow here. either. I mean, you're talking like they're no, going to start true, tapering when we wake up on Monday morning. They're, they're not. It's it's likely they no. they won't taper in calendar year 2021. They may talk about it, but exactly. they're not going to actually do it. That's a runway of six months at, at least. Is it not that this trade that Tom's talking about could potentially work? Yeah, so I said it's late, but there's still room to the upside. But I don't see the pressure on the banks. And if I did see the pressure on the banks, I think the upside going out a year or two years or even six months is much greater than selling these things and triggering tax gains. So, look, I like the tech. I like the upgrade of the fangs. I do not think fangs are going to be the best performing tech stocks going forward. I don't think Amazon's going to be. I surely don't believe Apple's going to be. I think it's under those. I think it's in the stocks that are a lot cheaper and that have great growth and aren't the typical ones that everybody talks okay. about. So, so it's a stock picker's market okay. once again. I'm going to give Tom uh, a chance to respond to you. Um, he says it's late, Tom, that a lot of the move has happened. Now, I'll give him the fact that the stocks have gotten off the canvas but let's not act like they're, they, they look like they are ready to go 15 rounds again. I mean, Apple's only up 1% in a month. Amazon's 4%. Yes, it's gotten going lately. Microsoft, 5. Google and Facebook are 7 and 7.5, seven and respectively. What do you say to his call, though, that it's late? I mean, I don't even know what he means by late. Uh, we were telling people to buy energy stocks as our number one sector in December, they had already risen 70% from the lows, but they've advanced another 60%. So I think you have to look at the bigger fractal. And for FANG, they barely kept up with the market since May. On an absolute basis, they're up, but they're relative horrible, especially in the last six months. Financials, in some ways, have overshot. I mean, if you look at the nine gigs four in financials, only four of them actually look healthy. So. I think there's been a deterioration within financials. It's being held up by a few names. And so I think the odds favor tech showing a big breadth increase, which is a sign of health, and that leads us to new highs. Why, I mean, why? Should you going to tell the guy he's late? The XLK is up 5% in a month. So he missed it already? I mean, come on. No, I'm saying that's consistent with what I've been saying. Fangs will continue to underperform. Snowflake's up 20% from the lows. You have the others. Look at the move in, in Zoom. So you've had other tech stocks have these massive moves. Fang will not have those massive moves. Okay, so it'll be in others. Look at the move we've had in, in Corvo since the bottom. Look at the move that you're having in Qualcomm. So you can focus on the 1% in Apple, which I think is the most troubled of the Fangs, and I don't think it moves much higher from here. So that's why I'm saying going underneath. So that's what I mean by it's late. But I also said, to be fair, that there's lots of more upside in technology. And I think technology continues to perform well and will outperform value. So there's no disagreement. Well, let's also let's also be clear that the stocks, some of the stocks that you mentioned of the highest of high flyer technology stocks. Yes, they, they've had mm -hmm. a nice bounce, but they're still 30, 40 or 50 percent, mm -hmm. if not more, away from their 52 week highs. And, and that's part of the point, too. Yes, they've bounced off of the very bottom, and they've had a nice move at that. 
but they're still so far away from their 52-week highs. If they can get some momentum back, maybe they can get towards that even further. But let me broaden it out and bring in Degas. I want your take, Degas, on this call by Tom Lee today. You can take it from either side, the double upgrade of the fangs or the downgrade of the financials. Yeah, so, you know, Tom, I, I agree um, with Tom's view. On one point here, though, we, let's talk about the reflation trade because ultimately what I'm seeing is that, you know, I'm a cyclist. And if you don't ride your bike, the air goes out. And so what we're seeing in the economy now is a reflation. So, Tom, my question to you is the reflation trade, where is that in this view? Because I see financials still being part of that reflation. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really important clarification. I'm uh, still quite bullish on epicenter, uh, and at the core of that is I think there's a lot of pent up demand, and we have a fiscal post war spending cycle coming that turns cyclicals into growth stocks. Um, and S and P earnings next year could be you know as high as 250, so the market's trading in the teens. But what we have found by talking to our clients is so many of them have been positioned in financials and discretionary as an epicenter trade. And that's why our focus has shifted more towards the first order trade, which is energy and commodities. And it was financials, but we think now with the rate picture changing, we'd rather be, you know, basically on the epicenter, our favorite idea is energy, uh, which we think still early cycle. Well, wow, you, you, you still think energy is early cycle after this tremendous move. Where, where do you, you must think that oil is going much higher than from here, which is basically 70 bucks a barrel. Uh, yes, Scott. So uh, one of the things that's interesting to think about is, you know, Goldman forecast $80 oil by the summer. Last time oil was 80 was in 2018, at a time when the U.S. was had oil coming out almost, you know, we, we had so much oil, we were exporting it. The structural supply demand tightness is so different today that $80 might be a floor for a while. You know, there's $300 billion of underinvestment just in the past two years for global oil capex. That's going to be pretty hard to, to make up. So I think that there's a structural argument oil could be between 80 and 100 for quite some time. And, and for OIH, for instance, which is the services ETF, that would be imply something in a $700,000 range. And it's at 200-ish now. So a lot of upside for energy. Wow. All right, Jim Labenthal, you've, um, you've been patient. You've heard everybody here <laughs> and, and the debate you know, between some of the committee members and Tom Lee specifically. How do you want to tackle it from here? Uh, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit, which is to pile on uh, the FANG trade here. Um, and you know, I, I, got, I got big in Apple and Qualcomm, which isn't FANG, but it's large cap tech a couple of months ago. I was obviously early, but let's back this up with numbers, okay? The argument that higher rates or lower rates should affect these stocks has to do with the multiples. Um, the, the premise being that higher rates should have a lower multiple. Apple started this year with a forward multiple of 30. Right now it's 24. So it has already adjusted to higher rates rates. And I would say by too much. Why do I say that? Because look at the peg ratio. The peg ratio at the beginning of this year was three. Now it's 1.4. Peg ratios, for those of you who don't know, is a way of saying, are you paying too much or too little for growth? At 1.4, you are paying way too little for Apple's earnings growth. And the degree by which the peg ratio has come down, namely by 50%, is far more than the multiple has come down, which reflects that earnings, multiple, earnings estimates on Apple are going up. So you've got the best of both worlds here for Apple. And again, this is just emblematic of the fangs. You've got rising earning estimates. You've got a very, very reasonable 
uh, uh, multiple here. And I think the question that will hang out there, and I'm, maybe this is to Tom, maybe it's to the group, is will second quarter earnings be the catalysts that punches these stocks out of their consolidation range. I thought that would be the case in the first quarter. I was wrong. You had fabulous earnings, and the stocks just were meh, their, their share price performance. I strongly suspect that this second quarter, when the earnings come out, everybody's going to say these are ridiculously cheap for this quality of the earnings, this quality of the business model. So that's what I'm looking for. I'll let Tom Lee um, address that, whether whether you think that's going to be the case, that the stocks act, act – um, actually react positively to earnings this go around or if they even you know that that needs to be the catalyst it sounds like rates alone are enough of a catalyst and the fact that these stocks have been sideways for a while until recently that's enough of a catalyst x what is expected to be good earnings yeah jim actually brings up a good point because you know the way when stocks rise it's really because it's positive surprise and q1 earnings was kind of a mulligan because we know it's early and the comps are weird but when second quarter earnings come out, there are going to be a number of cyclicals that are going to be talking about cost pressures or inflation, and that could take the bloom off some of the epicenter groups. I mean, even, you know, bank compensation, for instance, whereas the FANG names and secular grower techs are going to produce 30% growth, but without the inflationary pressure. So to Jim's point, that's positive surprise. I think it could be a catalyst for earnings. All right. I'm looking at Apple shares, highs of the day. Um, you're looking at them at, at your screen right now. A couple of the other fangs or fang plus, if you want to call it that, remain uh, in the red. I was going to say, you know, goodbye, Tom, and welcome in our next guest. But I want you to actually stick around because I want you to participate in the next conversation we're having. Jonathan Krinsky, Baycrest, um, certainly one of the brightest technicians on the street is with us now. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Good to be here, Scott. So what do you think about Tom Lee's call here? From a technical, he laid out the sort of fundamental case as to why the FANG stocks deserve a double upgrade. What about the technical case? Are they ready for a, a, a bounce and a breakout? You know, I, I think he's, it, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for us, I, I think the FANG trade and some of the mega cap tech trade, I, I agree that it's a, a bit of a positioning uh, reset. Um, I do think people got a little too, uh, probably ourselves included, got a little too negative on, on some of those growth names. Um, but, our, you know, our call there is, is more of just maybe a stabilization. I mean, you look at what, you know, Apple and Amazon, they've been sideways for most of the past year. I don't know that that dramatic, uh, drastically changes. I think you could have some modest upside there. Um, but I just think it's this constant uh, churn under the surface. And it's it's just frustrating a lot, both bulls and bears. So I, I don't think there's a runaway move to the upside in Fang like we saw in 2013, but I think you could see some money kind of rotate there and kind of um, steady the ship somewhat. Let's be clear too, Tom. I mean, aren't, you know, Facebook, Google, it's not like they've done nothing, right? They're basically at all-time highs. And as I said over the last month, Google, Facebook, seven, seven and a half percent respectively in terms of the jumps that they've had. Uh, yes. Um, you know, one, one thing I always think about is something Tom Luddy has told me quite a long time. He's vice chairman of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, which is less when things are less bad that's good and i think the environment around fang has been pretty tough for the past year and their underperformance really stands out because for the last seven years they've been such darling so to me if you can remove some of the sort of headwinds for them and then you think about that 3.2 trillion dollars of institutional money market cash on the sidelines which is almost as high as it was in may 2020 we think a lot of our institutional clients when they come back into the market risk on 
it's really going to go into the liquid names they know well, which means that they'll start buying FANG because some of the clouds are lifting. And I think Jonathan Krisky is correct. You know, they, they're stabilizing here, so there's a lot of proof that they can break out. But our sort of probabilities are that this, there could be quite a significant breakout in the next couple of months. The other issue to deal with here, Krinsky, is, is one of the reasons behind your call today on the industrial stocks, which is, by the way, to sell them, um, is because they've had such a big move off of the bottom. Like a lot of these cyclical, reflationary, reopening stocks have already had such a tremendous move. At some point, you have to believe that the steam is going to get a little bit less, if not stop entirely, and that there's going to be a rotation into the more growthy names like we're talking about here, whether it's some of the Kathy Wood stocks that have come down from their lofty valuations or the fangs, which is a broader call now. Is that part, the industrials, you're saying to broadly, you're not even being very selective. You're saying to broadly sell the group. Yeah, so I, th- I think, you know, Tom's calling on the banks to some extent that, Jazz with with our call on industrials, they they do tend to trade somewhat together as kind of this uh, value cyclical reflation trade. But you know we're not as convinced that rates are are done going up. I think you know some people got caught off sides in the last few days. Um, but you know our view is that rates probably do actually head back to the upside. So that's going to keep somewhat of a floor, I think, in in financials. Industrials, though, you know they've been one of the best performing sectors over the last twelve months. But over the last two, three, four, and five years, they've actually underperformed the S&P. So they've been a pretty poor long-term relative trade. Um, and really what's concerning to us in industrials, you know, you're starting to see some of the key stocks and, and industry groups within industrials. You know, They started to break down on a relative basis in the last couple of weeks. Um, and in the last couple of days, you're seeing names like Caterpillar and Deer really start to break to the downside. And let's, you know, let's be clear, let's take a name like Deer. Um, this name was $100 at the at the COVID lows. It, in 12 and 14 months, it went up to $400, so 4x, and more than twice what it ever was pre-COVID. So there's just been a massive, um, you know, move in, in in some of these mega cap industrials. And there's, you know, from our perspective, that air pocket that they saw to the upside. When you see moves like that, once they start coming back to the downside, you see an equally fast. Uh, air pockets of the downside. So we'd be pretty careful here on um, some of those names. Even some of the rails have kind of been um, almost almost seeming invincible to, to any sell-off. And I think, you know, people are a bit complacent in, in some of these names. You know, they're not all created equal, though, right, to, to, to part of the point here. And I, and I think it's an important distinction to make. That brings me to you, Shannon, because if you look at your exposure in the industrial space, you have quite a bit of it whether it's Honeywell or L3 Harris, Union Pacific, United Rentals, Huntington Ingalls, and, and some others. But look, to Krinsky's point, some of these stocks are, are up in their own right, big amounts year to date, you know, some as much as 25, if not more, from percentage points. Though Honeywell, that's, that's, that has not up great. It's up not even 7% year to date. UNP, CSX, 6 7% respectively from the rails. What about his call? Well, I think that the comparison to pre-pandemic, I think we should remember that that was a really low growth environment. There wasn't a lot of capital expenditure. 
We went through two years, 2018 and 2019, where businesses weren't spending any money on CapEx because they were uncertain about trade policy and other you know, po- kind of political overhangs. Go back to those periods. CEO confidence was very low. We're in a different environment. And frankly, I would expect these, there to be a longer, fatter tail for industrials coming out of this recession than we saw previously, because we're not going back to a pre-pandemic economic environment. We're going back to a, a new environment where not only infrastructure spend here in the United States, but globally, there has been a, you know, a lack of, of infrastructure build. There's been a lack of CapEx that extends back through the two years prior to the pandemic. And so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree that in the short term, we could see some consolidation and we could see some selective underperformance. But I think that comparing this to 2019 as a relevant benchmark is, is frankly, you know, sort of ignoring the fact that we've entered into a new phase in global growth. Okay. I think you just made a great point. I really do. And it's one that we haven't really talked about much. And Tom Lee, I, w- I want you to address that. By the way, the XLI. The industrials ETF is at session lows um, right now as we have this conversation, too. It was like the spendless boom before, right? Pre-pandemic, the economy was obviously doing well. But Shannon's so right in pointing, the, pointing it out that there wasn't huge CapEx. Why? Because companies and CEOs were, in some respects, paralyzed by the trade policy and the trade war and the tariffs. They didn't really know what the, cir- the circumstances were going to be. So they weren't spending as much money um, that the, as they otherwise uh, might have. So maybe that prolongs a, lo- a runway here for some of these cyclical names like the industrials. What do you think? I think she makes a good point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100% with Shannon. If you look at the last 10 years, depreciation of industrial and corporate capital stock has exceeded CapEx. You know, for the last 10 years, basically corporate America has shrunk its real assets balance sheet, tried to go digital. Now we're emerging from a world where there was essentially an economic collapse. There's a lot of true up or catch up spending that has to take place. And I think it's correct not to think of 2019 as the bogey. I mean, look at China, even on consumer services spending, the categories are somewhere 30, 50, 60% above pre-pandemic levels. I think that's really the sort of surprise that's coming for the U.S. economy. I think it's going to be very robust. Um, now, I don't know what it means for the rates picture, but I do know it's really good for epicenter stocks and things that are focused on consumer demand. I'm, I'm also thinking of, you know, bigger, broader picture kind of things here, where if you're looking for how do you get to 4,400 in the first half of, of the year that Tom Lee has put his target on, how do you get even further perhaps beyond that because you have the tailwind degus of being on the other side of the pandemic and you have a scenario where you're still flush with liquidity and a fed that the market seems to trust more than they have in the past few months rates don't get away from you i see a scenario in which a lot of stocks can work in that environment as you reflate the economy corporations with which have more visibility start to spend a little bit more and you don't have rates running away, which means the tech trade can work, too. Am I crazy? Does that sound right? Scott, you are not crazy, because if we look at the last time this happened, we have to go way back to World War Two. At post World War Two, we had a situation that's very similar to what we're looking at today. 
That was the time when General Motors stopped making cars and started making military uh, equipment. Just like uh, General Motors started making ventilators. When we had the reopening of the economy back in 1945, you had 12 million uh, veterans coming back to the United States. And the economists and people thought that they were, they were coming back to jobless opportunities. What occurred, though, is that there was so much pent-up demand, just like today, that the economy really went into a boom. And if you think about what GDP was back in 1945, it was at 288 billion. In 30 years, it grew six times to 1.7 trillion. My point being is that we are in a different scenario and we haven't seen this since the uh, boom of uh, World War II. So Scott, you're, you're not crazy. I think that we're in a point where we're going to see growth and once again, inflation is not going to overwhelm us because just like my example with the cyclists, you pump up your tire, we're pumping up the economy, and I don't see uh, the impact of inflation being negative. Okay. We will have pockets of reflation, but not a negative impact of inflation. Weiss, what, what, what's your, I see you shaking your head. I know you want to get involved here. I'm also curious as to this buy you have of Freeport McMoran and what that says about your view of commodities, materials, other cyclical type things? Well, first of all, you asked two questions. I'm going to choose to answer the one about the market and ignore the other one um, <laughs> about mental acuity. Look, to me, you've, you've got, as I said yesterday, Goldilocks. What we haven't talked about is the non-U.S. economy, so the global economy that are still in phases of lockdown. China aside, we saw what could happen you reopen. China's had a booming economy. We saw the U.S. Now, take a look at Europe and eventually India. So you're going to see that synchronized global economy just booming. Then the other thing is the U.S. The U.S. is not fully back to work. We look at all the job openings and we look at all the people that are still unemployed. If you've been locked up for a year and you have a choice of going back to work in June or May or waiting till the summer's over in September, you'll go back in September. And since our economy is two thirds driven by the consumer, you'll see another leg up in the economy. So things look great, all with the backdrop of low rates, even if they go up 20, 30 bips, who cares? In terms of Freeport, look, I sold Freeport early. I sold it a few months ago in the mid thirties. I regretted selling it. I'm never going to be a long-term commodity investor. I've seen too many commodity funds have a two-year lifespan, kill it, 100% returns, and then just blow up. So commodities have, have a way of more capacity coming on, outstripping demand. However, copper's sort of unique here. So it's a trade of indeterminable length. More EVs are coming out, very positive story. They use a lot more copper than was used right, before. Right. Also, if you look at capacity coming on, it's constrained. Tom, so that's why I bought Freeport. Tom back. Lee, I'm going to give you 10%. I'm, forgive me, Steve, sorry. Uh, Tom Lee, I'm going to give you the last word. We started sure. with you. I'm going to end this segment with you. To Weiss's point about things that are going on outside the U.S., we highlighted earlier this week that single billion-dollar bet on the BlackRock Europe ETF, um, really betting on big up upside in, in Europe. So how, how do you view a trade like that in light of what you're talking about for the United States? Um, well, I think investors uh, should think about non-U.S. Uh, it's not my specialty, but, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, Europe and any time frame, their relative performance is about the same as the U.S. So when you get U.S. outperforming Europe 
there's always going to be some convergence. So I, I think it makes a ton of sense for people to say, if I'm looking for reflationary trades, epicenter, there's going to be some exposure in EM that's necessary and some in Europe. But the best companies are still the U.S. So I think when you look at tech, for instance, I'd still want to be overweight U.S. tech. All right. We'll make that the last word. Enjoy the conversation. Guys, thanks very much, Mr. Lee and Krinsky. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. The committee, they're not going anywhere. They're sticking around. Because healthcare, one of the best performing sectors this week. Biotech is having its best week of the year, despite pulling back today. We'll get the top picks from the committee, including a stock Jim Labenthal just added to his portfolio. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Picker, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Senate Democratic leaders joining calls for an investigation into the Trump administration's secret seizures of data from House Democrats. Majority Leader Schumer and others are demanding former Attorneys General Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions testify. Witch hunt or abuse of power, Shep will break down all of those details on the news tonight. Tens of thousands of people are still without power in Puerto Rico. A huge fire at a main substation knocked out electricity for about 700,000 customers yesterday. Utility officials say service will not be fully restored until this evening. And in Pakistan, a bus carrying pilgrims overturned on a highway and fell into a ravine. Authorities say at least 20 people died and 50 more were injured. Deadly road accidents are common in Pakistan due to poor infrastructure and disregard for traffic laws. Back here at home, a CDC study showing childhood vaccinations plummeted at the beginning of the pandemic. Researchers found there was a rebound during the summer and early fall, but not enough to make up for the spring decline. I've got one for my little guy on the books for next week, Scott. <laughs> so helping helping push that vaccination vaccination rate forward. Helping the cause. All right, Leslie. Exactly. Thank you, Leslie Picker. Biotech is down today. It is still on pace, though, for its best week of the year. Of course, there was the Biogen news earlier this week jumpstart at the sector. Lots of other things are going on, too. In fact, Jim Labenthal, the farmer, is buying Bristol-Myers, making Kramer happy. <laughs> you know, I, I've been out of pharma and biotech for quite some time. It's been a big donut hole in my portfolio. And there's been a reason for it, Scott, which is that the, the winds of political change were all pointing towards drug price control. What we've seen over the last couple of months is that that's not really on the Democrats' agenda right now, or at least not in the part that they're going to try to push through. So that has me looking in the space and saying I should be in there. Uh, Bristol-Myers has a 3% dividend yield, nine times forward earnings, great oncology franchise and cardiovascular franchise. They've been in the penalty box since they bought Celgene a couple of years ago. I think they're ready to come out. 
I will be the first to admit before Steve says it that the bold amongst us got into Moderna. He was violently right. He was the, you know, he, he, he was the hodl there. Uh, however, I am just taking my first of what will be several steps into the pharmaceutical and biotech space with this purchase. Let me ask you this, though, because I know you also sold Walmart, not to link them together, but one by yes. one sell. Why did you get out of Walmart? You know, well, it's a great question, and this is this comes down to portfolio management. I'm by I'm replacing one low vol name with another low vol name. Um, those low vol names have a purpose in a portfolio. They stabilize a little bit. Not everything is going to be GM or Twilio or Apple. You need to have a little bit of stability in there. But when I looked at Walmart, I said, okay. 24 times earnings, 1.5% dividend yield. And do we really think we're going to be surprised by any sales number from Walmart? I really don't think so. Basically, I think all the good news is in Walmart. I think Bristol-Myers is underappreciated. So within that low-vol portion of the portfolio, I make that switch. Okay, up next, one of Jim Labenthal's favorite stocks getting caught up in the meme mania. It soared 20% this week. It's also one of Steve Weiss's core holdings. We're going to debate it. That's the mystery chart. We'll do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started chart we go there it is cleveland cliffs shares up about 20 percent this week another three percent today the reddit wall street bets forum that's where the name was being mentioned the trade was on big time this week weiss you own it but i gotta go to jim first he deserves to have the first word on cliffs uh i found out about this you know i followed it we talked about it yesterday i asked you if you sold any on the bounce and you said no yeah, I, we're all stifling a chuckle on this, aren't we? That an iron ore steel manufacturer is uh, is the darling of the Reddit group. Uh, but here's the neurosis that goes on as a portfolio manager. I actually did create orders yesterday to trim by 20%. I did not sell a share. I'm not going to sell a share. I think that when you look past the Reddit noise, what you see is a company that the news flow is just phenomenal. Uh, they paid down something like $400 million of debt just last week. They're killing it on earnings and free cash flow. They're putting the steel into cars and washing machines. Everything's going great. They've got a fantastic manager. So this is a stock next year I think is going to be 30. You know, at 24, I'm honestly, I'm tempted, but there's no way I'm going to sell at 24. If you want to take it up to 28, you know, Reddit holders, you want to take it up to 28 next week, maybe. Maybe I'll trim it. But man, this is a fabulous company. It does create a problem, though. It, cre- it made me a little neurotic yesterday to think about, geez, should I sell? Um, nope. Maybe I'll have to get a Reddit handle. I don't know what should my Reddit handle be. Warren, I don't know. Is taken the farmer. I don't know. The good farmer. <laughs> um, Steve Weiss, it's roaring a big farmer. There it, you it's go. It's a yeah, roaring farmer. It's a big it's a core position for you. What, what, do, what do you I mean, this is the sort of the conundrum of this sort of environment. 
that we're in. You really like a stock. It's a big position. It gets caught up in a little bit of mania, goes off to the races, and then you got to figure out what to do no matter how much you love it. Yeah, except the difference here is that the fundamentals support the share price. And the share price, despite Reddit's, uh, you know, playing around with it, is not much higher than where it was not that long ago. So the stock's still very cheap. If it did get another 20% pop, yeah, I'd be a seller. I also own Valet, which is another iron ore company, which I've used much cheaper, and it's got over a 5% yield. So, so I'm pretty long the space. Again, reopening trade, global economic trade. So I think they keep going regardless of Reddit. I know. I'm not going to let you get away with that one comment, though, that the, the fundamentals support the stock price. I mean, you can't tell me the 20 percent move this week was based on fundamentals. Why? I'm sorry. As many times as you want to try and tell me that. No, no. But I can, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. What I said is the fundamentals support the stock price where it is. And the stock price was right here just a few weeks ago. Purely in the fundamentals that are on the quarter. So Reddit's really got to show me some stuff here and make Jim the popular guy, which he's been looking for for about 50 years. Congrats, Jim. All right. Straight ahead, we have three stocks to watch next week. Big ones, too. Oracle, Adobe, General Motors. We'll give you those trades when we come back. Welcome back. Dow, S&P, both at session lows this hour. We do want to give you a couple of stocks to watch heading into next week. Couple set to report earnings, Oracle and Adobe. They report their results. Let's take uh, Oracle first. Degas, you're the owner of Oracle. You go first. Yeah, Scott, really like Oracle. It has, it basically provides the cloud infrastructure that Zoom sits on. It has a 4% uh, free cash flow yield and also a 14% return on invested capital. Plus, it provides 6.3 million students free STEM education materials. So this is a company that's doing well for shareholders and stakeholders. Okay, Adobe reports on Thursday, Shannon, which is uh, one of your stocks. Look, it's had a nice move into the number. So that you know, maybe makes the, the report uh, a little bit high pressure than it otherwise might be. It's up 11% in a month, but you tell me. You're the, uh, you're the expert on Adobe. I don't disagree with you. I think there is a little pressure here. We're looking for digital media to be growing a little bit faster than digital experience. Um, we think that they actually could guide a bit higher based on that. Um, but we would anticipate that, you know, we could potentially see a little bit of softness, not dissimilar to what we've seen in other tech stocks this earnings season. I would say it's definitely a buy on the sell-off. Um, love this name. Love what they're doing in the digital world. All right, Jimmy GM. That's, that's your second nickname. It's always going to be Farmer Jim, but Jimmy GM is why I, I reserve the right to call you that, too. Uh, they have their shareholder meeting on Monday, 1 o'clock Eastern time. Stock's been a bonanza, right? Um, anything going to come out of that that you're, you're watching for? A good question. You know, at the shareholder meetings, you only get the high level uh, concepts. And the two that I would really like to hear Mary Barra talk about what's going on with Cruise. Uh, that's the autonomous vehicle division. And that's a reason why there's a big premium in the stock. So I'd like an update there. And then the other thing is, is they caught cost, cut costs a lot last year. Are those permanent? How are those going to affect earnings, hopefully positively uh, over the coming years? And I like that nickname, Judge. Thank you. Well, I guess, I mean, we may get some updates, too, on chip shortage stuff and production you know, just the yeah, just timing yeah. of the meeting. And that is such a timely issue, too. So it's not insignificant what actually could be said or happen there. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a good point, and I thought of that, too. I'm not sure if the chip shortages, which they gave us a positive outlook on two weeks ago, I'm not sure if that goes to the 100,000-foot level that you get at a shareholders meeting. I'd love it if she talked about that, because that's good not only for GM, but the whole world. Well, I can see a shareholder standing up and ask, trying to ask that question, uh, at least, because it's yeah, been one of the yeah. big overhangs, yeah. obviously, in terms of production uh, issues with with GM. We'll see, though, and we'll follow it. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions in by video. We'll play them on the air, too. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll be right back. All right, let's answer some questions now. Turn to the wall. Steve Weiss, I come to you first. Prajesh in Maryland wants to know, is United Airlines a buy right now? What do you think? I own it. I believe it is. Look, just under a third of their business comes from ex-U.S., and as we said, that hasn't opened up yet. And like the autos, limited capacity. So if you look at an airline ticket going somewhere else in the world, man, is it expensive. So margins will be there. Still a recovery play. All right, Shan, to you from Ben in Maine. P&G wants to know if Procter & Gamble is still a good stock during the reopening. Of course, a staple uh, in and out of the pandemic. To Jim's point earlier, this is a low vol part of our portfolio. But importantly, the, the thing to remember about P&G is they have a huge international footprint. So if you're looking at that, um, you want to get some exposure, you want to dip your toe into Europe and EM, this is a great way to do it through a U.S. domicile company. All right, Pharma Jim from Steve in Woodbridge. Does Jim still like Boeing, he asks? I mean, I could answer this one. <laughs> I know you could. Uh, yes, of course I do. And I think the thing to look forward to over the next few days is this rumored order from United Airlines for 10737 Maxes. That's a big order uh, for an important program. Also take a look for whether Qatar Airlines orders 3777X freighters. That's the news flow you should be on the lookout for. But I love Boeing. All right, Degas, to you last. Olivia, New Jersey, should I buy MGM Resorts? Obviously, we're talking reopen, a little uh, gaming action. Yes, Exactly. This is a reopened stock. One half of all the beds in Las Vegas belongs to uh, MGM. Plus, online gaming. Scott, as you just mentioned, 12 states allow it today. By 2025, that could be up to 38 states. A growth area for MGM. This is definitely a buy. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Thanks for the questions, too. We'll do final trades after this quick break. All right. Let's do final trades. Shannon, you're up first. Um, following on Jim's comments from earlier, Merck, um, Keytruda and their specialty oncology pipeline is very strong. And with this subsiding pressure on drug prices, it might be a good time to enter into the stock now. Okay. Degas? Allscript Healthcare Solutions is addressing one of the most efficient part of the healthcare uh, system, patient engagement. Pharma Jim. Kinder Morgan, uh, in a breakout, but it's got a lot more to go. Stay with it. Okay. Steve Weiss? Volkswagen still the cheapest, fastest-growing auto company out there. Okay. Keep your eye on the market, too. Uh, see the Dow down about 90 points. S&P's been in the red. NASDAQ, the only one green. And interest rate's a big story. They're going to remain that way, too. The 10-year note yield, 145. That remains a big story. That tells a lot about the market picture you're seeing, too. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 